So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegi, and I'm interrupting myself to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time, and when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. There's a lot of superstars out there that use Follow Up Boss. What's your favorite CRM? We're using Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. I love Follow Up Boss. I love it. We have action plans now for bringing on new agents. We have action plans for our recruiting. Uh, we call them action plans and follow-up boss, which will trigger tasks for the agents to do as far as calling. Follow-up boss, I like more for the integrations with everything, MailChimp, call action, all those different products. I will say we used Sync and we switched from Sync to follow-up boss. Honestly, the greatest CRM I've ever used, I've used Brivity, Sync. I've looked at Boomtown, like Real Geeks, just a bunch of different ones. But me personally, I've fell in love with Fub about like seven months ago when I first started using it. I've used Boomtown. I've used Line Desk. I've used Conversion. And I think Follow-Up Boss gives you the most integrations mm-hmm. that are simple. And it gives you the best ability to go and integrate large things into one single solitary platform. Yet at the same time, it's still affordable. I do like follow-up boss better just because it you can text from the app and things like that. It's just a little more convenient for me. Um, it tracks everything that I need. I can customize it if I want. If I want to go smart list-based, that's fine. If I want to go task-based, it's fine. I think it's one of the best systems, and it's very user-friendly. It just really helps me never drop a ball because it's so user-friendly. I don't have a one horse in the race with follow-up boss. Purely objective. Follow-up boss has been the best one that we've found. Now I've used follow-up boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial and check it out especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet, this will be a great one for you to start with. Thanks again. Now back to our show. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, can you believe that the month of February is over? Happy March 2023. Time always flies. You know, the real estate market is pretty awesome right now. And when you think about and pretty fascinating when you get to look at how different it is throughout the country. And by awesome, I just mean there's so much stuff going on. There's a lot of markets right now where home sales have slowed down quite a bit. There's a lot of agents uh, that are trying to find their new stride. Some agents are really rising and gaining market share while others are deciding maybe they want to be doing something else. I just did a ton of analysis on a bunch of different markets and was really curious to see there are still some markets that year over year have had price gains. Every market I looked at, the volume is way, way down, at least 20 or 30 percent down. And in others, it's even more extreme. You know, I, I was surprised to see that like in Tampa, Florida, we still have month over month price increases. But I think by the time April or May hits, or sorry, year over year price increases, but I think by the time we get to May, uh, Tampa had some really big prices last year in May, and I think they'll finally see year-over-year price declines. But nine markets that I looked at, there's only two markets that had year-over-year uh, price increases in the month of February. Everywhere else, we're seeing these declines, and you know, it, but but it also looks like a lot of pricing has now held steady. And so it's going to be really interesting over the next few months. If pricing has now held steady, when people are looking at year-over-year declines, it's going to start to get worse because last year, um, you know, price kind of peaked in you know April, May, and June in a lot of different markets. So we're going to get to see kind of where the market plays out. But at least in a lot of the markets I've been looking at, sales prices seem like they have just been slowly declining and pretty flat over the past four months. 
which maybe uh, I think people and buyers that can give them some reassurance of stability as they want to come back into the market. So like the example uh, you know, I looked at in, in Austin, median prices last year were you know, 500,000 a year ago. And then a year, and then 11 months ago, they were 525 and 10 months ago, they were 550. Well, we've been just hovering right around 400,000 as our median sales price right now. And it was like 406 in January and then 402 in February. And for the last few months, it's kind of been around that 400,000. So what that says is I'm seeing some price stability. It's still way below what most people were hoping to sell for in many of the markets. And every time we see some like, you know, down ticks in mortgage rates, demand seems to come back. And what I'm hearing from lots of agents is, and everywhere I looked at, there are more transactions happening this month than there were last month. There are more transactions happening this month than there were in December. Still though, way, way less, you know, you know, way, way less than we had going on a year ago. One market in particular uh, in San Antonio is really, really crazy. So last year, a year ago, we had 600 transactions uh, a month going on, and last month they had 60. So they're having 10%, a 90% decline in transactions, which is obviously really, really affecting Salesforce. It's a really, really big area to only have 60 closings in a month for that whole kind of county, that whole that whole area. So um, anyway, this is one of those special podcasts where we go through and you give a few minutes of each of the interviews we did in February. Really, each of the interviews I did in February. Again, I'm so glad to be back as the full-time podcast host. And you can hear a few minutes of each of those episodes and see if there's any that you want to go back and listen to the rest of. Or today is like the Cliff Notes. It's like the crash course where you're going to learn from several different people in like a 30-minute period. So here goes. Here's the first one. Here's a couple minutes of episode 1117, selling commercial real estate in California with Jason Lee. So when someone is trying to figure out what commercial team to join, or what commercial brokerage should join, um, or whether they should go from residential to commercial, what advice would you give them? First piece of advice I would say is make sure you work with a broker who's still very involved in the business. That's actually you know in the office every day. That's willing to you know help a new agent. The reason why the commercial real estate world is a revolving door, so many agents come in and out, is because. They work under a broker who's been doing it for 20, 30 years, who's almost checked out, doesn't want to find their own deals anymore. So they hire you know, a newcomer and they expect them to just kind of learn everything, throw them in the fire, don't really help them much. So I've seen that um, you know, with other companies and um, that is kind of the, the most important thing you should look for is if you're someone who's looking to jump into commercial or jump into real estate in general, like is the person that's going to that you're going to spend time with, are they willing to invest time into you? Because if they're not willing to invest time into you and they just see you as a, as a lead generator, uh, that's the biggest red flag to move to a different team as soon as possible. Other piece of advice I can give is, you know, with residential, um, there's a lot of other like methods of lead generation that work well. Like, um, you know, if you hate dialing the phones, which most people do, you can, you know, still work social media and other platforms. But in commercial, you have to be on the phones because a lot of people are old school, a lot of older owners in their 70s, 80s. They don't have Facebook or go on Facebook or go on Instagram. So you got to reach out to them directly on the phone and see if they're looking to buy or sell. So, yeah, I'd say commercial is a lot more archaic than the residential world at this point. That's a, that makes a lot of sense. You know, one last piece of advice I can give for someone, especially in times like this where it is slower, is I think you got to focus less on the dollar amount that you want to make and focus more on like, you know, how many people can you meet this year? Because the way to take more market share is to have a book of business that's going to transact when times are good. And if you have a big book of business and you build that now while other people are maybe, you know, on the golf course or not working, whatever it is, because times are slow. Uh, that's when you need to capitalize on potentially creating those new relationships that'll blossom for the future and for years to come. And that's the beauty of commercial real estate because you can grow with a client. You can sell a, a client. I sold a client a four unit property. He sold that, bought an eight unit property. He bought a 16 unit property with me and then he sold that and bought 50 units with me. So you can always grow um, with your uh, clients and residential as well. I mean, residential, the good thing about residential real estate is that it's huge for referrals, right? Anyone can be a potential customer in residential. Um, not as many referrals for commercial real estate because the obviously the client pulls a lot less, but 
Um, either way, there's many ways to grow in both industries. And I think if you focus on the contacts now and the amount of people that you can save on your phones where that person's going to pick up your call when you pick them up, uh, when you call them up in the bad times or the good times is the most important piece of advice I can give. All right. If you liked that one, go listen to the rest of episode 1117 with Jason Lee. Next up, here's a few minutes of my interview with Wally Olivieri. Wally is my buddy. He's my buddy from GoBundance. I met him years ago. You know, he's a lender. He's a real estate investor. And it was just a really, really fun interview to share about his journey and what happens when you set goals and you try to go after them really, really quickly. He used his lending income in order to build this fantastic wealth journey that's going to take him to, you know, just these crazy, crazy levels. And I think agents can be doing the same thing. Agents that are successful right now can be taking their agent income, their commissions, and and doing things with it like Wally did to really go to the next level. Here's a few minutes of that interview with Wally. Everyone's asking right now, like, what's going to be happening with lending over the next while, right? Like, what are some great techniques and tactics that people are still using to get deals done? Are you only seeing first-time home buyers apply for stuff right now? Like, Let's just, just in general, talk for a little bit about what things you've seen in the last three to six months that are changes and where you think it's going. Yeah, I would say, you know, a blessing for being so long in mortgage, I've seen many cycles. So the dot-com burst when it happened 2001, 2002, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And I was just a, a broke single guy trying to like sling loans, door knocking apartment complexes and stuff from there. You know, when the recession hit, I was a father of a, a two-year-old and, and a five-year-old. And so you, kids were young. And I remember just uh, feeling um, feeling so weak in that situation. And I had to finally have the mindset during the recession that I had to work twice as hard to make half the money. I had to learn how to work twice as hard to make half the money. And once I mastered that, I was able to rebuild the business. And before the recession, my income was probably close to about 500000 After the recession, the income went down to like 200000 um, And I've been able to build it back, and which we'll go through income here in a minute and stuff from there. But you know, the biggest difference in this shift is interest rates were so low for so long. So I, I started putting together a plan in 2013, which is called our, my succession plan. And my succession plan has succeeded. So every year I gave up pieces of the business to be able to give to give me back my time. Well, every year I focus on what is the weakest part of my mortgage business that I can make the strongest part of my mortgage business that following year. So when I looked in 2019, I was like 95% realtor focused. I'd go to a realtor, get a mortgage, get a commission, go back to the realtor, get a mortgage, get a commission, and it would just be over and over and over. So I was controlled by getting referrals from realtors. Now, what I started really focusing on is my database because I realized only 5% of my business was coming from my database and 95% of my business come from my realtors. If they left me, I'd be screwed, right? And then also you realize when you're in an all commission environment that your database can become your data bank. So as I focus on my database, the business grew and now 33% of our business in 2020 was from our past clients. We go from 5% to 33%. So I created another vertical for the business for the sake of referrals from it. Now, what I realized from there also is that I started getting clients ask me, hey, do you know a good financial advisor? Do you know a good CPA? Do you know a good family will attorney? Do you know a good insurance person? And I started receiving these referrals. So in 2000, 2020, I referred out over $500,000 in commissions. So as you as a loan officer, if you can be that valuable and refer out a half a million dollars in commissions, you're going to receive back more referrals. And as you receive back more referrals, what do you do with that? You, you pass the referrals back out to a realtor, and they then they give you more referrals. So our focus in 2021 and 2022 was building the mortgage business the six-lane highway. Most loan officers only have one lane highway that is a realtor focused. Second lane highway became real uh, became database focused. Then the third lane highway became financial advisor focused. So I'd receive referrals from clients that want to be referred to a financial advisor. I'd refer them to a financial advisor. I'd receive referrals back from the financial advisor. I would go take those people buying houses, go refer them out to new realtors. They start sending me back more mortgage deals and it cycled and it cycled and cycled. The next lane highway became CPA referrals. The, the second lane highway became also um, 
insurance and the last came, became builders. So when you think of business and you think of business with scalability and you think of mortgage business that is has worth, you've got to think of deal flow. So we're having one of our best year ever right now in mortgage and most mortgage people are struggling. We're having our, one of our best year ever because I've got six referral streams coming at me at a daily basis whereas most lenders only have a one lane highway referral stream coming at them. So I would encourage loan officers out there to think differently. And what I mean think differently is I, I, I'd rather eat six times a day than one time a day. And then also then your business is worth. And when I started focusing on creating that succession plan, now I've sold, sold my mortgage business to my team. And now I'm receiving a residual income of two, two and a half million just from the mortgage business. They manage it, they run it, everything A to Z because there's two deal flow coming in over and over and over from that mortgage business, they are receiving that deal flow and I'm getting a piece of the cut of the pie and I'm not touching a loan. I'm not originating loans or anything at all. You know, there's, and for, for listeners out there, for, for just new real estate agents, for seasoned real estate agents, it's that same concept. A few things that, that Wally said there that I thought was so great was like one was the making sure that you have the database because so much of his business was just from new leads coming in. So I want to jump to your goals for a second. One of the best, I love it when you shoot me a text message and you're like, Hey, here's my goals over the next year. Here's my goals over the next six months. Uh, hold me accountable. And we, and we've been doing that now for a few years. And every time you send them over, I'm always like, wow, these are, these are great goals. They're well thought out. Like, you know, and every time I'm like, man, he's really stretching here. And every year you accomplish them, but give a quick masterclass for listeners that have like maybe never done goals. It's January. People are just starting like people, like there's some people just done their new year's resolutions. How do you keep track of your goals? How do you make sure you accomplish them? You know, any, any strategies around like goal setting and goal making, because I know, you know, back in 2013, when they were like, hey, go get some rentals, you're like, I'm going to go get eight. It was part of, it started then, and now it's like this giant snowball. So what advice do you give people about how to do goals or what your secret is behind that? Uh, I mean, I guess three things I want to say. One, uh, just dream. Just absolutely dream as big as you possibly can. And to the point where you're like, man, this dream is stupid. This, this dream is never going to happen, number one. Number two, um, Stephen Covey had a great quote, begin with the end in mind. And that quote leads you to a book called The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papazam. talks about um, goal setting to the now. So if you begin with the end in mind, what you want it to look like two years from now, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, whatever your timeline is. Let's just say it's a 10-year goal. Or for simple math, let's say it's a, it's a one-year goal. For that one-year goal, for you to accomplish that goal, by January 2024, where do you have to be in that goal in, in, in nine months? To be at that spot in nine months, where do you have to be in six months? To be at that spot in six months, where do you have to be in a month? To be at that spot in a month, where do you have to be in a week a week before? Then, it, then where do you have to be in a day before and in, in, in an hour before? point I'm trying to make is when I realized that like, what is that one thing such by doing it, everything else becomes easy or unnecessary. And you realize that kind of mindset, um, goal setting just became super duper easy. Accomplishing goals became super duper easy because if you think of that question, what is the one thing such by doing it makes everything else easy or unnecessary. It keeps you focused on what is the next best step. Where I see most people make mistakes is they just do the next step. Well, it's just the next step that you put on your to-do list or your goal list you want to accomplish, but is it truly the most efficient and effective next step? What is the next best step? So if you can dream big, begin with the end in mind of what you want it to look like once, you're, once you reach that goal, then do it in bite-sized pieces from quarter, every quarter, every month where you need to be, every week you need to be, all the way to every day. I can manage day-to-day -day goals. I'm really great at daily goals. That's what it comes down to. What do I need to do today to be on track for my one-week goal? And I just focus on that one thing per day. Before you know it, you've hit your week goal, weekly goal. You've hit your week, monthly goal. Before you know it, you've hit your quarterly goal. And it's, you, 
you can accomplish a ton. I think Gary Keller said this once, and I don't know where he got it from, but he said that uh, everybody overestimates what they can do in a year. Everybody overestimates what they can do in a year, and they underestimate what they can do in five years. Underestimate what they they can do in five years. So, and you think of like wisdom like that, you start learning to think more long-term with your goals or short-term with your goals. When I look at goals, I look at a five-year vision and a 10-year vision. Where do I, and I start focusing on the yearly vision, the monthly vision, but you've got to think big and you got to think far. All right. And if you liked that one, I hope you did. I think you should go listen to the, the episode 1118 again with Wally Alibieri. Next up, here's episode 1119, The Key to Outperforming Competitors in Any Market with Amy Stockberger. I love the systems that she has in place. Here's a couple minutes of that one. What are some touches and some ways that you're staying in front of your database right now? So if someone was, if someone is just starting to get their CRM together and now they've got, you know, their 400 past clients in a CRM, you know, somewhere, what are some of the things that are easy, easy follow-up and, or, or, or whatever, emails, text, however you do it, what are some ways they should stay top of mind if they're struggling to come up with content to send an email? Um, lifetime home support is my answer on that. That's the easy thing for us because that's our foundation that if you're not here to serve first before you sell, it's just not going to resonate as strongly. So we're constantly serving back to our clients, telling them what they get with their experience with us. So we have, uh, again, lifetime home support is the foundation of my business. And, and that's just basically I've created unique value propositions that position us as our client's lifetime home support partner which makes them our lifetime referral partner. And so we're, you know, one of those pillars is my VIP club. They get access to from buying and selling with this one time, they get access to my moving trucks. I have two moving trucks. I have their 15 foot moving trucks. I have an enclosed trailer. I have a flatbed trailer. They get access to those for free for life. And then they also get access to my party and tool shed, which is my tool shed is anything from commercial grade food warmers, bouncy houses, cotton candy, snow cone, popcorn machine, banquet tables and chairs, anything you can think of to throw a party, they get access to for life. My tool shed is anything that they could use for every stage of home ownership that they likely don't want to rent, buy or store that they get access to for life. So like commercial grade um, carpet cleaners to paint sprayers, to ladders, to specialty tools, wheelbarrows, all those things they can come use for free for life. And, and what I've done with those then is then I've monetized those pillars in my VIP club. So I sell ad space on the back of my truck. So I, I make money off of my trucks every year. Um, then I, I put my branding on every piece of my equipment. So my brand reach is even bigger because people have these big parties with all my stuff and my name is everywhere. They come in. It's so easy for my clients to use the law of reciprocity that it's just a fundamental law that when you get something, you feel compelled to give back in kind. And so our clients sing our praises from that because we're constantly serving to the nth level for life for them. It's not just a transaction for us. It's we're there for everything they would need throughout every home ownership. That's brilliant. Well, Amy, any final inspirational thoughts for our listeners? I think this was a super valuable interview. I mean, I think that there are so many tips and tactics that people are going to be able to apply and getting to see from the beginning of, you know, what you thought would, would, would have been important to know right away and some of your tips and tactics and systems, but then also like your big hook. I think so many people can apply that in their business, but final thoughts, final, just, you know, inspirational or practical or anything. Yeah. What's the last thing you want to make sure all our, our listeners here? I think building a relationship-based business is going to make your, your business withstand any type of market. And I truly believe that team leaders and brokers have to have different profit centers within their company. And this adds like what I've created, it does have a lot of different profit centers that we're able to add into our bottom line just by doing something that is starting out where we really need it to be, which is serving the client. And then it just has turned into all these great profit centers by the way we've monetized them. And relationship-based leads are the best leads. They're the ones that come to you knowing your value. They're way better than a Zillow lead who doesn't know you or you're constantly trying to prove who you are. They come to you knowing, liking, and trusting you already. And so the, the, the process is so much easier, so much easier. All right, if you liked that one, go back and listen to the rest of episode 1119 with Amy Stockberger. Next up, here's a few minutes of my interview, 1121 with Chris Voss. This was such a cool, cool interview for me. So Chris was the author of Never Split the Difference. That's a very, very 
famous book in a lot of the masterminds I attend and a lot of the networks that I'm a part of. The Chris Voss Never Split the Difference book is, is really, really epic. And it really, really changed the way that I talk to people. And getting to interview him was totally like a one-on-one coaching refresher course that you guys get to be alongside of. He also recently had a book come out with Steve Scholl, who I interviewed a couple months back. Well, the full fee agent. So here's a few minutes of my interview with Chris Voss. Like there's so much bad advice out there. It says, find out their why. Okay, let me ask why. The problem is, and I learned this as a hostage negotiator, why universally makes people feel defensive. Like if I were to say to you right now, why did you wear that shirt? You got an instantaneous defensive reaction. What's wrong with this shirt? Like I like this shirt. Why don't you like my shirt? Because every human being globally has been conditioned when you were two years old and you broke something, the nearest giant next to you, which is an adult, pointed their finger at you and said, why did you do that in every culture on earth? So uh, we found out one of the things I learned in hostage negotiation, like why always makes people feel accused, which possibly leads to anger and being upset. And it's friction. Now, how do you do it better? If I just say to you, instead of why did you wear that shirt? I said, what made you wear that shirt? You felt that land differently. Yeah, It felt less accusatory. That's one of our skills. We refer to that as a calibrated question. Calibrated questions need to start with very specific words because the way it lands emotionally. And generally speaking, what lands well because people love to be told to tell other people what to do. So what what tends to land deferentially? Now I could pick a third way depending upon my read of you in a moment, and I'd say, seems like you got a good reason for wearing that shirt. Now you're laying that out immediately with the contractor. Not why do you need 50% down? The Black Swan method way in that instance would be like, seems like you got a good reason for needing 50% down. That contractor is going to lay out their good reasons for part of that money. And the crazy thing is, for what they what they don't have good reasons for seems like, which is what we refer to as a label. Again, it's this stealth emotional intelligence weapon. It hits your brain in a very different way. When you have a good reason for it, you can't wait to tell me. And the crazy thing is, if you don't have a good reason for it, you'll say like, well, actually, and you'll be very honest with me and you'll lay it out. I had one in DC, one of our students, at Georgetown, MBA part-time student. He worked for a contractor during the day. They had a subcontractor that was not performing and it was screwing a whole project up. So he sits down with the subcontractor and says, seems like you got a good reason for not doing the work on time. And the subcontractor right. looked down and said, nah, we don't. Real Estate Rockstars listeners, this is Aaron Muchistegui, and I want to introduce you to our newest sponsor of our show. You know, go listen to episode 1119, where I interviewed Amy Stockberger, and during the interview, she told me about this wild VIP program that she does that really helps generate referral business. So she calls it the copy and paste formula to implement and monetize your VIP club. Now she's selling a course all about it. This course will show you how to make the ultimate shift from feeling overwhelmed and frustrated to feeling empowered and motivated with copy and paste tools that are seamless to implement. While I was interviewing her, I was writing down the names of so many people that I know in my network that need to implement this right away. A few of you listeners, I actually called you and said, hey, you guys should be doing something like this. That was before I realized she had a whole course that she's trying to build out here. You know, if you sign up for a course, you're gonna experience a steady stream of high quality leads, turn all your clients into referring machines and add additional streams of revenue. By the end of this course, you're gonna have learned the game-changing value of how lifetime lead strategy equips you for business buying, applied an easy copy and paste roadmap and monetize your VIP club, stop giving away your commission in exchange for high referral fees, add or increase your transaction fee. It lays the groundwork for adding an additional six-figure revenue stream. I was so impressed with the systems that she's doing. So simple and easy. Hey, you know, I've seen people do this before, but she's doing everything. How about having a moving van that has your name on the side of it and anybody that uses your services gets to use that for free in the future. You're not just providing a value to your customers, but you're also advertising everywhere throughout town while they're using your services. 
What about a bounce house for your kid's birthday party? She has those as part of the package. What about the heaters if you're trying to throw a party outside and it's a little bit cold? She has those. They're all personally branded, so people are using your stuff. It's a value for them, and they're advertising you as an agent. I think the process is really, really brilliant. So here's the URL if you want to go check it out www.startyourvipclub.com and by being a Real Estate Rockstars listener they have a special code for $200 off here's that code R-E-R-S-V-I-P go to startyourvipclub.com R-E-R-S-V-I-P go check it out or go listen episode 1119 and learn more about it now I don't know why seems like you got a good reason for that he just brained differently and pulled the honesty out of him I don't got to know why. I'm a layman. I know what works. And we've seen stuff like that work time and time again. And when the subcontractor who wasn't performing said, nah, we really don't. He didn't feel accused, backed into a corner, called out. It put him in a collaborative mode and they worked it out and they fixed the problem. It is such, it's such fascinating stuff. I'm sure the more you practice it, the easier it gets. Any advice out there for people that are like, I want to become an expert negotiator, but like, how they didn't realize they said why, or they didn't realize exactly. they said what, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, small stakes practice for high stakes results. Negotiation, uh, Jim Camp wrote a book in 2002 called Start With No. And he used to say negotiation is a human performance event. He compared it to a sporting event. How do athletes get better? I mean, you know, they practice each day. They do the little things in practice. You can start doing the negotiation skills, the labels, the questions with everybody you interact with, with the Starbucks employee, with a person behind a counter at the grocery store, at the drugstore. Like we encourage people to use labels and mirrors and communication tools to understand the other side and make people feel heard every single day in little ways. Because you're in a big negotiation, you're not going to use something you haven't been practicing. You don't want to practice in a big negotiation. So we say everything in life is a negotiation, potential collaboration. Use the skills every day. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. All right. And if you like that one and you missed it the first time, go back and listen to the rest of episode 1121 with Chris Voss. Next up, here's a few minutes of my interview with Rachel Richards. This is episode 1122, Motivation Makes It Easy, How to Accomplish Goals. You know, Money Honey Rachel is what she calls herself. I'd had her on the show um, a couple years ago, and we talked about all sorts of different things as she was building her real estate business as an investor. She talked about ways to save money, ways to make extra money, ways to essentially grow investments on a budget and how to live financially free on a budget and lived a pretty cool life. Well, she's talking about a lot of new things now, You know how to invest in syndications, changes that happened since last time. Here's a few minutes from that interview with Rachel Richards. You know, one of the things that I remember when, when I first interviewed you was like on like some of the tactics that I think, I don't, I'm sure you talk about it in one of your books, was so many people right now is like, we're in recession. Some people will argue with me, some people won't. Like the, um, in a lot of places, times are tougher, things are tighter, People are, people are canceling subscriptions to like, we sell a bunch of business. We have a bunch of subscription services, different company. People are like looking at their credit card statements and going like, I need, what, what charges can I get rid of? What stuff can I discount? And I know it's, it's a similar challenge to trying to retire early is trying to survive when you start making less money, right? The, and maybe you don't think of it like that, but I think some of the tactics that you were trying to teach people back then of how to like retire would be really beneficial for people to hear about now. Um, I remember yes. one of them that you kind of said was, if maybe I'm remembering it right or wrong, I was like, how do we cut costs? And you were like, it's more about like, how do you make more money? Is yeah. that right? Is that the right spin? Yeah, exactly. Because whenever, and I've asked this in a lot of workshops and rooms and presentations, it's like, if you're trying to save money quickly, what do you do? And most people, and I, I used to feel this way too, I would say, well, I would stop eating out. I would cook at home more. I would cut back on online shopping. And I realized that the default we had to that question was to cut costs. And that's great. I truly think that is half of the equation. That's absolutely necessary. You have to live below your means if you want to get ahead financially. And at the same time, someone on a limited or fixed income can only cut their costs so much. You know, you can't just stop paying your mortgage payment or your car insurance payment without consequences. So there's only mm -hmm. so much you can do. You're limited. But if we instead look at the other half of the equation, 
because there's two ways to save more money. You can decrease your expenses or you can increase your income. And if you really focus on the second one as well, because you have to do both, that is where you're going to make some massive moves because there's no limit on how much money you can make per year. And once I had that mindset shift and looked for ways to have side hustles or work a part-time job or go for a raise or a promotion, I mean, there's tons of things you can do, but that's really when my journey to financial independence took off. Yeah. Is there anything you tell yourself? Are you just so good at delayed gratification now that it's easy? Or do you have like any mantras or things you remind yourself to do that? I don't think it's ever easy, but I think it comes down to motivation level. And because anyone can be trying to hit a goal, but if it's easier to give in to what's easy in that moment than it is to remind yourself of what you're actually working towards, then you're, you're just going to give in. So you kind of have to be used to that discomfort and you, you have to have a strong enough motivation. There's this analogy that I love in the book, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. And he talks about this. He's like, hey, if you are on top of a 100 story building and I offered you 20 bucks to walk across the plank to the next building over, would you take that deal? And it's like, no, who's going to risk their lives for 20 bucks? Like, why do that? Right. It's not enough incentive, right? And then he says, okay, now pretend like you're a parent and, or maybe you are a parent. And he says, imagine your child is standing on that next building over and the building is burning down and you have to walk across that plank to save your child. Now, would you do it? And, and it's like, yeah, yeah, of course, a hundred percent. And you wouldn't have to have 20 bucks either to do it. Right. So you're, it comes down to having a strong, strong enough motivation to overcome any obstacle that's going to be in your way whether it's setting your alarm for 5 a.m. and waking up or not spending the money on those shoes that you don't need or going to the gym, even though you're exhausted and you don't feel like it. If your motivation is stronger than all those things, you are going to achieve your goals. I love that. So your motivation must be stronger than, than what? Than the, than the challenges? Then the, yeah. Then whatever challenge is going gonna, is gonna to come up, whatever's going to stop you, whatever discomfort is going to be there in the short term. All right, if you like that one, go listen to the rest of episode 1122 with Rachel Richards. Next up, here's a few minutes of episode 1123. Ditch your W-2 for an uncapped real estate career with Allie Garson. So I got to interview Allie. I was super excited to interview Allie because I got to, I'm going to get to meet her this next week at our mastermind in Austin, Texas. You know, she had been a listener. She'd been a fan of the podcast, but really she is doing so much in her business, so much actionable stuff. We jam-packed it into this session. I think both of us really, really liked the conversation. Here's a few minutes of that interview with Allie. In hindsight now, like what would you tell people that are have? Cause I mean, I have so many great friends that worked the W2 and became an agent. And then they eventually made this shift. And part of the struggle was they were like, well, I was making good money. And so it helped me buy new investment properties or, you know, I, or I got nervous or would it really work? Because you are going from the security of a W-2 to running your own business. People go, I want to be an agent because I'm going to make a bunch of money because my agent just made $25,000 and maybe they weren't even that great. Like that's the most common thing. Somebody wants to become an agent because they're like, oh, it's an overpaid profession. <laughs> um, but like W-2 is very secure. Real estate's not. W-2 is capped. Real estate is not. But real estate, you're your own business. So like tell me about the, the, your whole experience. Like the, did you, like what do you say now about your fear of leaving W-2? Yeah, I wish I had gotten my license sooner. And so I, I still am the type of person that I needed to see the proof before I made the leap. Uh, and even then, even once I was ready to make the leap, knowing that I just made, I matched my, my military income in eight months as a part-time agent, I still couldn't like wrap my brain around it to like make the leap without any fear. I still had a lot of fear and I, imagine that it could be also be similar to agents that are, that might feel like, like they're outgrowing the brokerage and like making a leap from one brokerage to another or whatever type of leap you're thinking of making, try it, you know, like, and people say you can't be a part-time agent, you know, just try it. You know, if it's, if it's a matter of leaving your W2 or being an agent, try both and try it now, <laughs> like get your mm -hmm. license now. Yeah. Yeah. Try both and try it now. Like there's, it's essentially like, no. And some people are like, no, you got to go in, you got to go in all the way to, to really get the most out of it. And in one sense, yes, if you're doing two jobs at the same time, you're not going to do you're you're, you know, you're not gonna be able to give real estate as much time as you could, but it'll help you sample if you're good at it. If you like it, if you like making the phone calls, if you like interacting with people, 
Um, sometimes it, it's, it's a lot of fun and sometimes it's not. And so getting to see, you know, each part of that, like any final thoughts just about, about anything, about your story, about life that the, I mean, there's a lot of people that are listening to this. Like, so what else should people know about you or about life or about real estate? Yeah. Um, I have a lot of, of final thoughts, but I'll ne- I'll keep it concise. Don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we, you, you can do them all like this. This is your time. You do your final <laughs> thoughts. So I, I realized when I was in the military, uh, again, like not, not to bash it, just my own personal opinion is I was only growing to up to my, like my own bottleneck. And like, as I was becoming a realtor and in the business that I'm in now, you can only grow up to the level of what your peers or your environment is doing. So by changing your environment and getting into a community and like a community that will teach you how to grow even more, you can grow up to their bottleneck, you know, which is likely a lot higher than yours, especially if you are starting out or if you're a realtor already in a brokerage that you have since then outgrown. And I don't mean this as a pitch at all. Like I, (laughs) that's not what I'm trying to do, but like, just think about your environment because similar to like the go abundance uh, mentality of like, how do you become a millionaire? Surround yourself by millionaires. So no matter whether you're in a W2 or whatever job you're doing, if you're surrounded by people that you're not learning from all the time and they're not like, you can't just copy and paste what they're doing to take your actions and your like output into a higher level, then it might be time to reevaluate and like get into a, a group that will, because there are groups of like badass people, no matter what career field you're in, that will help your business take you, you know, to the next level. All right. If you like that one, go back and listen to the rest of the episode 1123. Next up, here's a couple minutes of a conversation that I had with Cody Sanchez, scaling profits in uh, property management. So this is really fun and a totally different style of what we've done before. So Cody's a great friend of mine. She has grown a bunch of online businesses. I've had her on the podcast before, you know, early 2020, right when COVID hit and talk. And her big thing was teaching people how to buy businesses, how to buy small businesses. And she came to me and said, hey, let's buy a property management company. And she had a bunch of reasons why. So during this interview, we're actually brainstorming and talking about what it's going to be like. It's like a behind the scenes talk of us as we're gonna figure out how to go buy a business. And over the next couple months, we're going to be buying that business. So here you guys can listen a couple minutes of that one. One of my beliefs is that uh, when I think about boring businesses, I like buying them outright. I like doing that transaction with that plumber that you talked about where I get to say, hey, uh, instead of you getting zero, what if you get $100,000 and we pay you over the course of three years, or maybe we give you $300,000 over the course of three years from the profits of the business, and you're happy, I'm happy, and your customers are happy. You've built a legacy. It doesn't just get wound down overnight. That's crazy town. And so that is called seller financing, which we talk a lot about at, at Contrarian Thinking and how to get business owners to see the value in that. And there's lots of benefit to the owner, like better taxation. If they don't take a big lump sum, they get an annuity annuitized um, payment, all that's super interesting. But the part that I think is even more interesting today is how do we apply systems, processes, and technology to businesses that used to be owned by boomers? And so property management's a perfect example. Basically, um, I partnered with this this guy, Peter, um, and and basically when he, when we looked to invest in his business, um, he ran about $2 million in revenue um, in his property management business. They did about, they have about 600 houses. And um, and his property management business, what it was so interesting to me is I was like, he's like, yeah, I can't talk for the next two weeks or something. I'm like, oh gosh, must be slammed. Like that doesn't sound great. And he gets back from two weeks and he's like, oh yeah, sorry, I was on vacation. I like to take a month off every year where I don't engage at all with the business, make sure everything's rolling. I'm like, can we re- rewind that for a You're second? You're like, wait, you don't yeah. have vacation? I'm like, you go on a vacation. For, I don't even do that, you know? And I think yeah. I have a bigger business than that. I'm like, how do you go away for a month with no engagement in your business? And he, Peter's a nerd. And so like former Eagle Scout systems engineer, he put together all these systems and processes and using technology so that his property management business runs like he would an engineering team. He just, he doesn't have the old bias that boomers have to, hard keys and two files and two, you know, um, 
to wet signatures as opposed to DocuSigns. He just doesn't have it. His is the exact opposite frame. And so when I saw this from Peter, I was like, oh, wait a second. I want to steal more of your processes and I want to apply them to a bunch of property management companies and I want to buy them and I want to roll them up. And then because we have an efficient model, I want to sell those businesses, um, which is what we do in private equity. And you see this happen with so many industries, but not really yet property management in short-term rentals to a big degree because they're just so disaggregated to your point. And so anyway, so I was like, all right, I'm going to start a website like Cody loves property management. I think that is mm -hmm. what it's called too. And on it, I'm just going to start putting all the documentation and stuff that Peter, you know, starts giving me, like, what are all your ideas and processes? And I'm going to see if we could like create enough of a book for you to take the ideas that you apply in your property management company and put them in mine. And so, um, so that's kind of where this started. And I think your point is exactly right. Every time I see a fax machine in a business, and I have an operator that can turn that fax machine into new technology, I get excited. And I see a lot of fax machines or a lot of hard keys in property management. And then the key is, you and I are having a meeting about this yesterday with three of them. We, I don't want to run a property management company. You don't want to run another property management company, right? And so now right. the next step is, if we think you know, property management multiples are astounding. Like what you can sell a property management company for once you get it up to two to $5 million and you can take that and sell it to a bigger 20 to 30 to $50 million property management company is pretty nice. And then you and I are cash flow junkies. So maybe we just like the cash flow coming in at some point if we can stabilize the business. Um, but the part that I think is really interesting is if you get an operator in there, then you're not the one running it. And that's what I'm most interested in. In real estate, if we're going to buy an asset, a lot of times we're like, we want to make sure everything's perfect. Like do inspections. We want to make sure the house is great. We want to make sure the income is great. Would you rather buy a perfect company that like everything's working great or one that you're like, whoa, they haven't raised prices in a long time. There's a lot I can fix here. For your first deal, I prefer perfect, which is I think probably similar to you in real estate. Like I, I don't think that I have ever seen a real estate job uh, that was going to be construction, like a flip, come in cheaper than you thought it was going to be and faster than you thought it was going to be. Like yeah. that doesn't really happen. And so it's the same with buying businesses. So when I go to buy a business, if I'm going to do my very first deal, I prefer that the deal's really clean. It's like, oh, this is a nice. Now, if they haven't raised the prices, that's okay. But I want to really like understand the financials. I want there to not be a bunch of hair on the deal. Like, ooh, I don't really understand what this equipment is worth or it's super old or they're not making money. That would be a bad deal. Um, but what would be a good deal is like, huh, you know, they're making money. It's a reasonable valuation. The financials are pretty clean, meaning I can understand them. And, you know, the business has been around for a while, so it's pretty steady. It's, it's a beneficiary of the Lindy effect, which basically means if it's been around for a while, it has a higher likelihood to continue to be around for a while. Startups, obviously a lot more volatile, right? And so, um, so that's how I like to think about them. Now, in this vein, I typically, if I was going to start out in property management, um, I would probably start the business as opposed to buy a property management business because they're hard to find. So like finding property management businesses that you can buy, um, they're not as easily listed. They're very mom and pop-y. Um, you need to, and the ones that like make enough money are pretty, are bigger. So you're going to have some competition. I would probably start a property management company. And if you do, or if you have a property management company that you want to sell, harass Aaron and I, because we want to buy them. Um, yeah. But uh, I would probably start it because especially if it was my first business, so little money that you need to start this kind of business. And um, like, I also like to buy businesses that I, uh, it's called, I call it BRRT. I want to buy boring businesses and recession resistant asset classes, raise their prices and add technology. And with this um, property management type of business, they're very boring and they're recession resistant. You can raise prices and you can add technology super easily. So I kind of like to play that game. All right. If you want to go hear the rest of my conversation with Cody Sanchez, go listen to episode 1124, Scaling Profits in Property Management. And that's it. That is a wrap for the month of February, everybody. I'm also really excited about what we have going on uh, this next month. I've got a bunch of fun interviews that I've already had that are getting ready to get published. I'm going to be doing more of the state of the markets again, where I'm talking about the news and telling you guys how you can act on it and what action 
you can take in that process. I also did a new thing called the Tesla Talk. The Tesla Talk where I'm in my car, I have some ideas, and I just start telling you the things that I think you need to hear or the things that I need to hear and giving you a behind the scenes look of the way my brain is working as I'm processing pivots in this new environment. So that's the stuff that you guys have to look forward to. I hope that you had value out of today's podcast. And maybe there's a couple shows that you decide you want to go back and listen to again or listen to for the first time. Real Estate Rockstars, thanks for listening. All right, Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully, you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also, we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents, and we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, We've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every punny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients, and we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com, and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate, how to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff rebusuniversity.com and if you want to chat with me go find me on Instagram if you come find me on Instagram you can send me messages tell me what you want to hear tell me what you liked what you didn't like we try to put a bunch of content out there too you can find me in two different places it's at rerockstars.com for our real estate rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things thanks for listening we'll see you again soon This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.